Last Shabbat, as has already been mentioned, you were celebrating the Passover. While you were celebrating here, I was on the road, heading south to do ministry, about an hour and a half away. Just over halfway getting there, I happened to look down on my dashboard and I noticed that my alternator gauge was flickering. That's not a good sign. I had to make a choice. Do I go meet my obligation or do I turn around and meet my need? Because losing an alternator is not a good thing. You could be stranded at any given time. You don't know when. And I felt the Lord speak to me and say, slow down a little bit. And of course, I was on 95, and you can never go fast enough. And so I slowed down a little bit. And I noticed that as I was slowing down and I was watching the RPM gauge, that as I was slowing down, the amp gauge started going, ticking back up to charge. And I noticed that if I stayed at a particular RPM, which seemed like 100 miles an hour slower than everybody else on 95, <laughs> that it would charge. And I said, Baruch Hashem. And I kept on going. So I went down. We did the service. And a couple hours later, as I go back out to my truck to leave, I turned the key, and every light on the dash came on with a little note, digital note, flashing across the bottom. It says, your battery is not charging. <laughs> and I said, well, good. <laughs> That's good to know that. Well, it's an hour and a half trip to get back home. The last light of the day was right then. It was dusk. I had about 20 minutes of daylight left. Now, when I went down to this place, I went down 95 and then Route 58, which is all the way down to Emporia and then making a left on 58 to go down to the ministry place. There is a shortcut that saves about 20 minutes, but it's back road. It's, it's a very type, type of road. It's a road that maybe you wouldn't mind taking during the day, but it's dusk. And in that part of the state, there's a lot of deer and a lot of other animals that roam around. And on a back road, you're just magnifying that possibility. Well, I felt the Lord said, go that way and to save power until I couldn't see at all don't even put your headlights on cut your headlights off so I'm going down this back road without headlights barely seeing the edges of the road and whenever I saw anybody coming it was only two vehicles I would turn my headlights on long enough for them to see me and get past me and then I would turn them off And I noticed, too, on my amp gauge that it was divided in sections. As the power of my battery started to drain, the needle would gradually drop. And it had a section that marked where your battery was still full power 
full power was available in this range, and then beyond that, it was diminished. So I've never prayed so much for so long, in quite a while. <laughs> but I'm, I made it to 95, from the back road to 95, and headed down 95. My light stayed on. And I'm just praising the Lord all the way down the highway. As soon as I got to the Chester Road exit, I saw my lights do this number. They went half power. I was beyond the full power meter level. And I said, well, I said, if I reckon this right, I probably got about 10 minutes left of battery power before it dies. So... I hurried up down Jefferson Davis. And there's a place to where I can jump off of Jefferson Davis and go to a back road. And of course, I caught every traffic light on Jefferson Davis. You know that, right? Every single one of them. But I just said, praise the Lord. He knows what he's doing. I'm just here for the ride. So I got to the, I got to the place to where I could jump off to Jefferson Davis. And as soon as I crossed Jefferson Davis to hit this back road, my headlights went, no lights. And I said, well, I've always said I could drive this with, with my eyes closed. I guess now I get to prove it. <laughs> so I kept on going. I got all the way to Hopkins Road where I live, which is, well, to a spot about a mile or so from where I live. And as I came up on Hopkins Road, my battery totally died, and I coasted into a little quick stop that's a mile from my house. And I said, well, praise the Lord. He got me here. But that wasn't the end of the story. While I was there, there were two people that were very helpful. I've never seen these people before, but there were two people there that were very helpful and very polite and everything. And, and I got thinking, I said, you know what? I said, my battery's not dead. It's just drained. It just doesn't have the power to crank the engine. I said, maybe if I get a jump, maybe I can go again. So, so this person said, hey, if you need a jump, I'll give you a jump. It's not a problem, but you have to have jumper cables. I've never had jumper cables in my truck before. Never had them. I don't know why. I just never had them in my truck until last year. Last year, I noticed that my wife had two emergency kits in her trunk, and both of them had jumper cables. And I said, why should she have two and I not have none? So I put, <laughs> so I put one in my truck. And I, and I actually forgot that I did that. So I just said, well, I don't think I have any, but let me look. And lo and behold, there it was. I jumped a truck with a five-minute charge on the truck. She started up, and I got back home safely. In actuality, with only a 10-minute delay. I said, Baruch Hashem. But the next day when I changed out the alternator, I happened to look at something I had forgotten about. Last year about this time, my battery died in the truck. And I needed a battery desperately. So I went to the place that I normally go to buy my batteries. And I normally get a cheap battery. I'm a cheap guy. You know, give me the cheapest battery you get. As long as it turns it over and it starts, it's good, right? It's good. But that particular time, they did not have a single cheap battery in the place. 
they had the larger heavy duty that cost about four times more than your average battery. And I had to buy one of those. And I said, Baruch Hashem, the Lord knew I was going to have trouble and gave me the heaviest, dutiest battery I could get because if I had, had had a cheap battery, I wouldn't have lasted 15 minutes without an alternator. I would have been dead on the back streets of the road and that would have been it. But because I had that battery and that battery did not die, it fully charged up and is functioning well right now. So I said, Baruch Hashem, that no cheap batteries were available a year ago when I did this. Amen. That's my Passover miracle story. <laughs> the Lord is good. Well, today I want to talk to you about another Passover story. But when we talk about the greatest story, when we talk about the greatest story that's ever been told, we talk about Yeshua, our Messiah. Fully man, but yet fully God. He walked among us. He taught us. He healed our sick and raised our dead and commanded all authority over wind, waves, and demonic spirits. Yeshua saw the sinful nature of this world, yet he loved us. In fact, Hashem loved the world so much that he provided the way of salvation through Messiah's atoning blood. Yeshua rose from the dead on the third day, just as he said he would, and is now at the right hand of the Father, awaiting his day to return in all power and authority over all the earth. Amen? This is by far the greatest story that's ever been told. Yet, when I step back and look at the scriptures, I cannot help but notice that Yeshua, Yeshua purposely aligned his atoning sacrifice to Passover. We, having just come out of the Passover observance last week, this come as no surprise to us. We see the imagery of Yeshua throughout the Seder service. Yet, there is a sense that there is a whole lot more to the story. Why did Yeshua use the Passover as the backdrop for his atonement? Yeshua could have used any other day of the year, and his atonement would not have been any less. However, Yeshua's atoning sacrifice was about the Passover, maybe in more ways than we think. So today, I want to look at some foundational scriptures concerning the Passover, and let us witness how Hashem uses the Passover event to shore up and support all that Yeshua accomplished in his earthly ministry. And we will examine these scriptures in three primary areas. One, through promises. Two, through provision. And three, through power. And I want to pause here for just a moment just to make a caveat. When I came to the Messianic Jewish movement many years ago, you could say that the internet was in its infancy and that to pull up one, tape, one page probably took 20 minutes to build. That's hard to imagine today, but that's truth. That's what it was. When I heard of the Messianic Jewish movement, 
I really did a very serious search of what it was all about. I didn't want to belong to a cult. I didn't want to get into anything crazy. I wanted it to be absolute scripturally based. I wanted to know what I was going to put my faith and my hope and my trust in. For me, it took me two and a half years of research and study. And I did not study it lightly. And the thing that brought it all together for me was Passover. My two-year search specifically was just on Passover alone. I didn't need anything else. If you study the Passover correctly and thoroughly from beginning to end, you will cover the entire New Testament. You will cover Revelation. You will cover all the aspects of who God is and who Yeshua is. It covers all of it and more. Passover is just that important. So I would challenge you even today, if you haven't done such a search, do one. You'll be amazed at what you find. So let's move on. As most of us realize that the Passover story doesn't begin in Exodus, but it begins in Genesis. It begins in Genesis with one man and a promise. And we find this in slide number one. And the Lord said to Abram, he said, go from your country and your people and your father's household to a land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those that bless you and whosoever curses you, I will curse. And all and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Let's take a look at verse 1 a little bit closer when it says, And Hashem states to Abraham that he must first go. You can go ahead and take that slide down, Robert, thank you. Meaning to leave his home, his country, his people, his father's household, and go to a place that Hashem will show him. Leaving all things behind. So let's look at it from a different perspective. If Abram had had a grip on earthly wealth, comfort, Abraham could have ignored the Lord's call and forfeited Hashem's blessing. And in doing so, we might have a totally different Passover season. But we know from Hebrews 11 verse 8, it says that by faith, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. We can say that from the very beginning, Abraham did, demonstrated faith when he obeyed the word of God and just went. In actuality, Abraham acknowledged two things by going. And we find that answer in Hebrews 11 as well. In Hebrews 11:6, it says that without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So when we sum it up, two things take place when we go. We acknowledge that God is. And that by obeying his word, we activate faith. 
Yeshua made the following statement concerning the faithful. Slide two. In Luke chapter 18, 29 and 30. Truly I tell you, Yeshua said to them, no one has left a home or a wife or brother or sister or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will, will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. So in a similar way, we receive the promises of the Lord Yeshua through faith. And by going, that is to share the good news, to share him with others, we receive rewards from him, even eternal life. Now, Abram, <clears throat> now with Abram, Hashem's promises go on further to say, he says what? He says, I'm going to show you a land. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. These promises from Hashem, from Hashem, had to have Abram's head spinning. How could he take all this in? Think about it for a minute. You're sitting out, let's just say for the sake of argument, you're sitting out in the middle of a cow pasture somewhere, and God says, you know what, I'm going to build you a nation. There are going to be more of you than there are stars in the sky. There's going to be more of you than there's grains of sands in the sea. There is going to be a promised land, and I'm going to bless you like, wow. Abram had no way of seeing the end of all these things. All he could see was the what was right here and now. That's all he could see. So I am sure like any one of us would be, if God stood in front of you and said these things to you, I think I would be, at the very least. How could Abram wrap his arms around these promises? Well, personally, I really can't see how Abram could understand all of this, yet he didn't have to. He accepted the words of Hashem by faith and knew that Hashem would lead and direct his life according to his promises for him and for his future generations. Abram is never recorded in all the scriptures sitting down worrying, trying to figure out how God's going to do all these things and what he must do to accomplish them. Isn't that amazing? God gives you all of this stuff, all these promises, and you go, oi, hey. But what can you do, what can we do to add one single thing to the promises of God? We can't. We partner with God, with God to go. We partner with him as he speaks to our heart to go. I know when I, came, when I came from the church world and I came here, I was doing prison ministry before I came here, but I didn't know the messianic ministry. How could I present this? There is no place for this in, in the entire state of Virginia. How can I do these things? It's like the Lord just said, shut up and just be still. I said, okay. So I did. 
And lo and behold, years later, a couple of years later, it was still in my heart. That passion for prison ministry was in my heart. And I knew that the Lord wanted me to do that. But the day came when Jamie Cowan, when he was here, he came to me one day as I was, um, well, he didn't even know I did prison ministry, amazingly. And I just happened to be here one day and he had a handful of letters in his hand. And, he, and I said, what you got there, Jamie? He says, oh, I got all these letters from, the, from prisons all over the state of Virginia. Well, I said, well, I used to do prison ministry. He said, are you still interested? And I said, yeah. He goes, well, here, yours. The beginning of the prison ministry. It was time. It was time. Yeshua said these following words in uh, slide three, please. From John 14, one, two, three. Let not your heart be troubled, but believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. Hashem promised many things to Abraham and to his future descendants. Abraham would not be alive to see many of these things fulfilled. But scriptures reveal to us that all the promises Hashem revealed to Abraham came to pass exactly as he said. From Joshua chapter 23, verse 14, it says this. And Joshua, by the way, is at the end of his life. He says, now I am about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. Failed. And in a like manner, Yeshua promises that all who believe in him and follow his will will have a place prepared in heaven for them, a promised land, so to speak. And also, Yeshua said that he would return again one day and receive all his unto himself. Now, we have an idea of how these things will be fulfilled because we have the scriptures to guide us. Yet I doubt seriously if anyone here can truly put his arms around all that Yeshua has promised. But we take it, his words, by faith. It is in this respect that we can see how the Passover story serves as an encouragement to the faithful. Today, tomorrow, and forever. His covenant and his promises will be fulfilled in the set time, when the set time has come, just as he has revealed his word to us through the scriptures. When it's time, his word will be accomplished. This brings me to my second point, power. In the Passover story, we witness the power of God to deliver his people from bondage. In Exodus 6, 2 through 8, it says this, and 
Hashem said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians have enslaved. I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am Lord, and I will, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you for my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land I swore with an uplifted hand to give Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And I will give you the land as a possession. I am the Lord. Whew. Could you imagine Moses hearing that? Hmm. When the time was right. When the time was right, Yeshua reveals to Moses that through his mighty hand, he will bring his people out of the land of Egypt. We know that through great signs and wonders, Hashem brought his people out of the land of Egypt. We also know that these plagues, uh, through these plagues, that the Egyptians suffered greatly. Have you ever thought about why 10? I always ask this question when we talk about the Passover story. Why 10 plagues? Did God need 10 plagues? In actuality, God didn't really need one. But, I mean, with just one. Just one. That's all God would have needed. Just one. The people were already living in the land of Goshen. God could have separated that land by his hand and boom. The Egyptians would have been separated from them from the start. But he chose ten. Have you ever figured out why ten? Why ten? I kind of see it this way. The Passover story is supposed to be the most powerful story in all the scriptures, especially in the Tanakh. It's supposed to be that. God built that story up by plague, 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 on purpose. This was to be a story that was never for forgotten. It was to be remembered by the Hebrew people, by the Israelites forever, for and ever, and ever. It was supposed to be the mighty hand of God, his deliverance, his, re his redeemed, his, all his power and authority. It was to prove once and for all that God is the God of all, and in all, and through all, and that's the end all of all. Amen? 
That's what Passover is supposed to demonstrate to us. God is all and there is no other. There's no equal to him at all. Remember that. That's what Passover was all about. God is all. He's all we need. There is no another. So as this story unveils to us and reveals to us is this, that God reveals himself through these plagues that there is no other God but him. Number two, he represents to us that nothing can stop the will of God from being accomplished. Absolutely nothing. Number three, it is a sign to all the other nations of the earth that one day would hear this story of this Passover, that they would fear the God of Israel. And number four, it is a memorial to the Jewish community to remind them of Hashem's great power and his provisions for them. It's a story, don't ever forget it. Don't ever forget it. It is the power of God revealed. But there's also a final point here to make. The final plague, the death of the firstborn, was judgment against the Egyptians. A means of redeeming his people to himself. Slide four, please. In Exodus 12, 12, and 13, we read the following. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt will I execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you a token upon your houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague will, will not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the Egyptians. God commanded the Hebrews to apply the blood to the houses. And he uses the word more concisely. It is a token. A token, it is a sign. It is a sign of things to come. It is a picture of the coming Messiah, the precious blood of the Lamb. It is a sign of things to come. But even in this story, the Passover story, when they applied the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of their homes, the judgment of God, he says, when I see the blood, I will pass over. It didn't say that the people in the house were righteous and just. It didn't say that everything they did was perfect and obedient. It didn't say any of that. He says, when you obey my commandment and you apply the blood of the lamb to the doorpost of your homes, my judgment will pass over because I will see the blood. By faith, they applied the blood to their doorpost. Acknowledging again the two things, that God is and that God also keeps his promises. They applied the blood. The Passover story in itself is a tremendous story. Tremendous, it's also a tremendous testimony of God's great power and authority over all creation. It stands as a memorial for his people to be never forgotten. The blood of the Passover lamb is also a foreshadowing of Messiah's atonement 
and becomes a reminder to us today in a like manner when we ourselves accept Yeshua as Messiah. And in essence, we are ourselves applying the blood of the Lamb to the doorpost of our hearts that the judgment of God will pass over when he sees the blood and through his mercy and through his grace. The, rep- the power to redeem the Hebrews from Egypt came at a terrible cost to the Egyptians. It was the death of the firstborn. The power to redeem the world from sin and death comes at the cost of God's one and only son. Listen closely to this. For the Egyptians, it was a cost they did not want to pay. For the Messiah, it was the cost he was willing to pay. This brings me to my final point, provisions. As the Israelites left Egypt, they entered into the desert to begin their journey. And Hashem provided for them in many ways. God provided water in the desert. He provided water where there was no water. He provided bread from heaven where there was no bread. He also provided meat in dry and desolate places where there was no meat. Beyond these mighty works, Hashem also provided his angel. We forget about this sometimes. Hashem provided his angel to go before them. Slide number five, please. In Exodus chapter 23, verses 20 through 22, we read the following. He says, I'm going to send an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you into the place that I have prepared. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive you, forgive your rebellion, since my name, since my name is in him. If you listen carefully to what he says and do that and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemy and I will oppose those that oppose you. An angel that had God's name in him traveled with the Israelites. It was an angel that was there to guard them along the way and to guide them into the promised land. God did not leave his people and lead his people into the desert without a guard, a protector, a guide, and a comforter. The presence of God brings comfort. In the book of John, we read this, slide six. John 16, 13, we read, but when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Now, I want to urge you, whenever you read the scriptures here, when you see the word spirit, it's capital S, spirit. But I will urge you, when you read the the scriptures and you see the word spirit, just don't say spirit. It's capital S, spirit. It's Holy Spirit. Or if you want to say Ruach HaKodesh, that's fine. But whenever you see it, just don't say spirit. Say 
the Holy Spirit. Read it like, but when he, the Holy Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Let's have the next verse. John 14, yeah. The Holy Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Here we understand that the Holy Spirit of God, the Ruach HaKadosh, comes and dwells among us for those who believe. It is the presence of God with us who leads us and guides us in all truth. The Lord does not leave us comfortless. We too know that Hashem provided both manna and water to the multitudes in the wilderness for 40 years. Yeshua too talks about the bread that sustains life. In the book of John in chapter 6, it reads like this. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed the seal of approval. Then others that were standing around asked him, he said, what must we do to do the works that he requires? And Yeshua answered and says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. So then they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe on you? And what will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the desert or in the wilderness. And it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Yeshua said to them, verily, verily, I say unto you, it is not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it was my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives you life and gives life to the world. So then they replied, these others replied again and says, give us this bread. And Yeshua declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the bread of life. To my aunt, though your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, they died. But here is the bread of life that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whosoever eats this bread will live forever. This is the bread. This bread is my flesh, and I will. Give it for the life of the world. This bread, he says, which I give for the life of the world. Whosoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will rise them up on the last days. This is the bread of life that came down from heaven from your ancestors. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. The Passover story, in so many ways, points to the ministry of Yeshua 
And this is just a barely even covering, barely even touching the, the ministry of Yeshua with the Passover. The overlays of both stories are just so perfect, so transparent. It's really a beautiful thing that only God can do. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, Lord, how we love you. And we praise you and we thank you for these beautiful examples that you give us of the Passover. And Lord, that Yeshua is the bread of life. Whoever partakes in you has eternal life and will never thirst again. Will never thirst again. I thank you for this precious time today. And I pray, Lord, that the seeds that have been sown today into the heart and into the minds and to the spirit, Lord, that these seeds will grow. And may they produce good, healthy plants and much fruit. Bless your Shabbat, Lord, and keep us safe. In Yeshua's precious name, amen.